Hello, this is the Dot Matrix, and I am Sean. I'm Justin. And uh, here we are on uh, late November day, dry day in East Van. I think Justin's... <laughs> Justin's getting to know East Van a little more yeah. these days. I am a new East Van resident, at least temporarily. <laughs> awesome. You've been transiting a lot lately. I... <laughs> <laughs> yes. Using my compass pass and uh, riding the rails, riding the buses, driving my car, all that sort of good stuff. Sounds awesome. How does it feel? Well... Uh, <laughs> don't want to use too much of our episode 63 time talking about being on the east side, but <laughs> I have to say it's very different. I mean, I'm not one to prescribe to an east-west side divide kind of thing, but, you know, it definitely is, um, I think it's vibrant in a very different way on the, on the east side. I'm, I'm yeah. sort of, I'm even east of you, which is, you know, saying something. Yes. And uh, <clears throat> just drive, um, walking along the main street, uh, which is Kingsway, uh, where I am now, um, Joyce, Collingwood area, Kensington area, that's sort of where I am for those of you out there who's listening from those Vancouver neighborhoods at all. And there's just such a, a vibrancy that is unlike what you get on the west side. Um, the multicultural aspect of what you get on the east side is amazing. Like it's it's simply amazing. And when I mean multicultural, I mean a lot more Chinese stuff in some respects. Like that's sure. actually a big piece of it. Barbecue. Um, oh gosh, and all the different grocery stores and and even like you know, there's a, a wonderful sort of more Mexican, uh, you know, fresh tortillas and stuff on the west side near where I used to live or where I, I will end up living again eventually uh, <clears throat> as we're sort of building this house. Um, but the east side is another one that I discovered too and I'm like really looking forward to going there and buying like corn tortillas and stuff. Uh, way cheaper. Mm -hmm. Way cheaper. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, it's... Um, I feel very happy in the in where I am in the east side in this awesome. little basement suite. Um, but it's uh yeah, I I enjoy. Good. Well I've already had the pleasure to come check it out on election night, which That's I, right. I know we'll talk about. <laughs> yes, I, I think there's gonna be like two key topics for us. It's gonna yeah. be um the election of uh the president elect Donald J. Trump. I don't understand how the J came into everything. What is J? What is J? I don't even know what J is. I was just going to ask you, because I don't... It better I, not be Justin. <laughs> Jerry? I don't know. Jerry! <laughs> Donald... Gerald. Jackass. Trump, I guess. Yeah, no, um, that's, that's interesting. I noticed with presidents, they always throw in the... Uh, the, the middle initial there. It just sounds presidential somehow. Yes. What? I guess, yeah, George W., George H.W. Yep, that's right. Barack, oh, I guess we all know H. It's Hussein, Obama. Right. Uh, Bill 
Je- William Jefferson Clinton, right? That's what it was. William Jefferson Clinton, and uh, I don't know what Ronald Ron Ronald Reagan's middle name was. I, I don't know either. But yeah, John the trickle down or something. Yeah. Ronald trickle down. <laughs> <laughs> um, and Richard Milhouse Nixon. Weird name. <laughs> uh. So yeah, uh, we are, what, two weeks almost since the November 8th U.S. election? Yes. And already, just straight out of the gate, as crazy as the election cycle was and all the crazy stuff that we were saying or doing, we're already looking at some crazy maneuvers on, um, in terms of him picking his cabinet uh, and other appointments, some major appointments like Attorney General, Romney, or um, the Secretary of State is what we're sorry. thinking. Yeah. Yes, thank Attorney you. General, I think, has really been the the announcement has been it's going to be Jeff Sessions. That's Sadie. Sadie just walked in. What's going on? You want to hang out here with us? <laughs> yes, you clearly oh, is. Yes. Yeah. Girl, nice big stretch down her back. <laughs> um. And uh, so, yeah, and, and the crazy guys that he's kind of got lined up, uh, I don't know if it's Secretary of Defense or that army guy who's quite anti-Islamic. Oh, yeah, I forget his name. I don't know the name of some of these guys, but uh, we've been hearing a lot about who's... The Gannon, is that his chief of staff? or who, who, Oh, Who's um, the Gannon guy going to be? No. Bannon, you mean? Bannon, yeah, excuse me. Steve Bannon, who's yeah. the chief strategist. Chief strategist. Okay. Yeah, which is a, a made-up title, basically. For, <laughs> for a, <coughs> this basically the chief of staff is the is the basically the person who runs the White House operations, and that's going to be Rats Priebus, who's the uh, RNC chair, and so they gave Steve Bannon, who was basically the quote unquote CEO of the campaign, which is a title that I've never heard of before the campaign. Um, he, they gave him the chief strategist role. So it's basically the almost like there's two number twos, right? Mm-hmm. So, right. Yeah. Crazy. So and and uh, it's I don't know. It's a really scary time for for a lot of people, and you know, uncertain <laughs> at, at best, scary at worst, and really frightening and anxiousness going on. Um, well, you know, we were going to sit down and do some live Facebooking on election, day, which we didn't end up doing, and probably best because it's uh, oh, yeah. it's tough because when it's so raw, what's oh. going on, to put something on for posterity is always a bit scary. Um, but like, I've been listening to a lot of podcasts that, that have come up in the last, um, since the election. I've been listening to a lot of podcasts lately, actually. Yeah. So things like some of the more progressive in the U.S., Podcasts like "By Any Means Necessary" or "Loud and Clear" uh, on the media, "Democracy Now," uh, which is a little bit you know, uh, still on the progressive side for sure. And then to like even like Alec Baldwin's like "Here's the Thing," although he hasn't done one post election, right? Um, and um, and even like you know the two people who do like "On the Lanai," which is the podcast about the Golden Girls. <laughs> yeah. they did a post election podcast. Just the two hosts talking about their reaction. And so we we're a couple of weeks out. A lot of these things were, were, were posted like a day after or the day of the election results that had come in. Um, 
but what's your sense like like roll roll with me what was going through your mind on election night but also maybe uh, particularly as it was becoming clearer that trump was gonna win and what do you feel now like has that has your emotions or your thoughts changed since election night uh they haven't changed since election night i think the one word that really encapsulates how I felt when it was really starting to look like uh, a Trump presidency was just disbelief. Okay. I really, I really couldn't get my head around it. I remember we were sitting on that couch. Eventually, you know, we had dinner and we were watching and we were we we're talking with Michelle and and uh, debriefing on different things, even some Canadian politics things. But then, as it got more serious and more dour looking like we might actually take this, I, I, I sat there thinking, oh my goodness. And as soon as in the media, after it happened, when people started saying the term President-elect Trump <laughs> or Trump presidency, I just, it, it, it would just hit me so hard. Like, really? Holy shit. This is happening. And what does this mean? And, you know... For me, I I feel a whirlwind of different emotions. I feel anger. I feel hopelessness. I feel sadness. I feel the urge to stand up and do something. Uh, but it's you know it's not our country. But at the same time, there's a lot of if you care about people and you care about the disenfranchised or those who will be disenfranchised. I don't want to be a a, a really cynical or skeptical person, but I just don't see good things happening. I see a really low point, and I thought the Bush Cheney years were the low point. There's always lower. There's always lower, and then I keep thinking, well, maybe U.S. has to hit rock bottom to be able to come together and realize their common cause, what it should be. And um, there's just so much division down there that. It's really striking. Like the more I think about, it, the more I, you know, I I think about up here in the landscape and how we have a tenth of the population, an even bigger landmass. Yet, when people think of themselves as a Canadian, they they have all these really, uh, really kind of good things to think about what it means to be Canadian. But down there. Americans, some of them tend seem to think that this is a, a I'm a winner and you're a loser situation. Right. And they're fine with that. And that's the thing that I have so much trouble with. It's I have my pie and it looks like you don't. So unless you, you know, work as hard as you can to earn that slice of pie that big, and there's nothing I can do for you. So that's the that's the, and I think that's what Trump embodied, and you know all the misogyny, racism, violence, incitement aside, all of that stuff, I think it's going to be a bad period, and and I think he's just going to make a ton of poor decisions, and and all those. Republicans that were not in favor of him 
are um, are just going to fall in line and be gutless and have no integrity. And I think that it, it's going to be really difficult for a lot of people because maybe not even policy-wise, but what they represent and what people are taking from that and think they have license to behave because he's president now, they have license to be this really uh, xenophobic or racist. They have license to treat others um, how they want to treat them if that's really bad. They, they're able to do it now. They've been given permission, you know? That's what it feels like to me. I, uh, I, 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 I'm, I want to see a positive, but I'm, I'm really struggling to. Right. <laughs> <clears throat> well, you know, it's interesting, like, uh, you know, we've talked a lot, we spent most of the day together already. We were at a uh, uh, protest for the Kinder Morgan pipeline, which, uh, at least up here in Canada, which is a pipeline that's going from the uh, tar sands of Alberta, bringing bitumen, through pipelines or any, any increase of the pipelines that yeah. exist uh, through British Columbia into broad inlet into Vancouver and then the coast and then on to China. So we will talk about that too as part of our, <coughs> our topic today. Um, but we've spent a lot of time talking today and uh, um, it's interesting, like um, in my perspective, you know, it's, I started on this thing and now I completely lost my thought. Oh. <laughs> but you, what was this last thing? This is live. I know, <laughs> damn it. Well, it's live to tape. Um, yeah. <laughs> but, you know, yeah, I, I've had a lot of thoughts about this particular election because, you know, I, I think there's a, there is very much a lot of danger uh, and, you know, people, could vote for Trump for a lot of reasons. This is what I was going to say, right? Um, uh, and I've been talking particularly with Michelle uh, um, <laughs> about sort of, you know, intention versus react. Like, it, I mean, we haven't framed it this way, but it, it's sort of like the, uh, do you actually are intentionally, intentionally trying to be racist? Or yeah. are you being racist out of, the results of your actions, right? Mm -hmm. uh, and so, you know, there's a lot of, we talked a lot about today over the course of the day about judgment, how people, we live in a world where people go quick to judgment and they completely, not only do they quickly judge people, but they, people, all of it from all parts of the political spectrum, quickly judge and then quickly use that judgments to generalize yes. a whole swath of people, right? right? And so the conversation can go, you know, Everyone who voted Trump is racist, and in my mind, my kind of, because my, I don't go there naturally. I'm like, well, is everyone racist, or is everyone, you know, are, are are people piecing out aspects of the message that was Trump's message? Some of it was crazy, batshit crazy. Sorry, I used crazy twice, but you know, like you know, about like grabbing women by the genitalia, or you know, uh, mocking someone with a. Uh, disability yeah uh horrifying horrifying like that, right and so do you vote for trump for other reasons because his disenfranchised economic message let's say for the middle class working class uh, american and most people equate that to also include white working class you know and and maybe and those are legitimate concerns 
possibly. And but then they also voted for Trump for those reasons. So they also then Trump vote Trump because he's racist, right? And then that does that in turn make you racist? Mm. And in my mind, some of these very judgmental terms like racist, xenophobic, sexist, uh, include an, in the definition an aspect of intentionality. Like you ch- purposefully choose to, you actually intentionally know that you believe men are superior than women mm. or you know or one gender superior than the other right. i guess if we want to be equal in that definition uh and or is it you know and, 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 and is that intentionality really important in my mind i think it is in a lot of other people's mind it's not important because in the end you still voted for the guy so you normalize then that guy will become president and so whether or not you intend it or not, it is a sexist, racist, misogynistic act to vote for him. Because in the end, you have reified that as being okay in the world, right? So, so to me, I struggle a lot with where I, where I fall in that, because I actually agree with that too, right? Like, like, I mean, that's how, you know, you think about, like, a lot of people have questions, and I don't know my world history terribly well, but you think about, like, Nazi Germany. Yeah. I'm not I'm sure not everyone in Germany is was at that time anti Semitic. You know, people were flipping the switch on those gas chambers or however however you activate a gas chamber, I'm not an expert <laughs> in that. Uh, yeah. Like how could you do that if you didn't believe it? And so I was just following orders, right? But does that and and, and, and that's a tough one. I can't I, I don't know what my judgment is because I uh, well, I don't know how hard, you know, like, I mean, if I don't do my job, I'm not going to be shot and killed, right? Like, right. you know, like, there's all those factors. But in the end, does it matter? Because in the end, that did happen, right? Mm-hmm. And so, um, so, like, so I don't know where I, I, I still haven't processed that. Because um, I think intentionality is really important for me uh, when you're going to judge someone as being racist. So I think a lot of people could kind of not realize that their actions ultimately result in racist policies or a racist outcome or a sexist outcome. Right. And then that gets to me to the point that we were talking a little about about also today uh, about fighters versus bridgers, right? Yeah. And, and to me, you know, the role of a fighter is to really hold the line on what is right and wrong or what mm-hmm. is important. Mm-hmm. And then bridgers are about trying to make sure the most maximum amount of people fall into that tent of understand of that co- common understanding of what is right or what is good or mm-hmm. what is the thing to do that should be done. And, uh, and I think those who intentionally are racist, they're, they're never... Bridgers don't care about those people. And I'm a, I would consider myself someone who bridges and naturally and who wants to be an olive branch person. But I, so to me, that's why intention is really important. Like there could be someone who doesn't realize they're being racist and in the act of bridging to them can help educate where, where they might not understand the domino effects of their, their thinking. And then bring them into the canoe, as we were talking. The whole notion right. in the pipeline is that in that speech that happened uh, this morning, that welcome speech in our protest from, uh, I think it was Coast Salish leader. Yeah. Uh, 
say that we're all in the same canoe. Like we are, yeah. Like we're not in separate canoes, people. Like mm-hmm. like we're all in this world together. And um, and you know, I think someone like a Donald J. Trump, whatever that J is, is clearly not in our canoe. But there's a lot of people who voted for him that probably could be in our canoe. Yeah. And should be in our canoe. Yeah. And can be active paddlers in our canoe if we engage them. Right. Yeah. Anyways. No, that's 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 a really good point. Um, and going back to that intentionality that you're talking about, it's a it's a tricky thing because I would agree too that you know a vote for Trump is like saying, well, I'm condoning his misogynist, racist, uh, really um, insulting messages, especially to Meta believe it was a mentally challenged person or a physically challenged person it was yeah yeah it was crazy i mean when you're voting for a guy that does all that but then you know i listen to music by people who've done bad things said bad things you know like yeah i don't know a lot of wagner but I have, I like some of Wagner's music, but he was pretty outspoken anti-Semite, revered by Hitler. Am I going to stop listening to his music, or right. endorsing the brilliance of it, or, and then there's, you know, Miles Davis, he hit at least one of his wives, he could be pretty bad to women, yeah. but I love his music because he's got that sweeter side, he's He's got that other side that came out in his music, that amazing side. Frank Sinatra, Woody Allen, the list goes on and on. I love. We both love Woody Allen movies. That's really another good mm-hmm. point. And I've had people say to me, like, literally, I can't watch his oh, movies I can't watch his, yeah. because I, because of what I think of him. So it's like, where are people allowed to vote for Trump and disregard all of that and? Just think of more in a, and, and, and believe me, this is, this is just me throwing this out there. It's, sure. not, it's not me saying it should be this way or not. Um, and think of almost from a policy persp- uh, perspective where he's anti-establishment. Well, anti-establishment, it, it, that suggests that it's a, a, a current political system that needs to change, that's been there for a long time. Forever, as far you know, and, and anyone's clear memory. So, does someone who votes for Trump for that, as opposed to Clinton, because she's very part of the establishment, do they get that pass? Because everything else that Trump stands for is actually pretty wrong and gross. It's a hard question, right? And I think, you know, and to me, I think, you know, it speaks a lot to what we've talked about the system, right? And how the system is broken in this, in the United States, extremely so. In Canada, definitely broken parts to it. For oh, yeah. sure, we're not, like, you know, yeah. um, saved from all of that. But, like, you know, the fact that, you know, even like right now, when you talk about some of the people he's you know talking about nominating or have nominated, and 
and um, <coughs> how they had to go through a whole bunch of stuff or a whole bunch of lobbyists were part of this transition plan and how does that go with like draining the swamp in Washington and right. being the outsider and right, right. they have to like retract from some of that oh yeah uh, which is you know not a bad thing necessarily I guess in that respect but but like the whole notion that you can say something in the election campaign and now everyone just realizes that oh well you know now that it's won and everyone knows it's not true right like like it just tells you the the state of affairs of the political system right that's right and how in the end what someone says is not really taken to the bank no and i'm like that's really unfortunate like that's not what the system should be um and then the fact that someone could say i'm an outsider and actually convince people that he's an outsider i mean he yes an outsider from politics he's not held an elected office but politics is completely which is the mechanism in which we then populate our systems of government uh, so they're inextricably linked uh although i really have to remind people they're very different things the act of politics which is the current format in which our democracy chooses people to then you know run the aspects of government so that's the government and the government side is very different from that uh you know, it's uh, it's populated by a certain group of people. People use the shorthand of, of elites, right? Billionaires, millionaires, as, right. as Bernie Sanders does. And yes, you know, Donald J. Trump is outside of the political governmental circle, yeah. but he's well-established part of the, the population of people, elites or whatever you want to call them, that that is the main draw uh, and the main pool in which you draw people to then be in politics or be in government right and 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 to me the whole notion of like you know he's a billionaire or whatever and he's doing business and and that's part of what informs that narrative that oh you know you just need to be a smart business person to run government and well one i completely disagree with that um I'm yeah. a trained marketer. Doesn't mean I can go into do an open heart surgery if I just think I can. Right? It just right. Doesn't happen that way. Uh, and, and for some reason, we've equated business to government. It's the same thing. I guess not true. No. Um, not. So, so he is part of the same system, but he was able to convince the the electorate that he spoke to them as an outsider. He's not an outsider. He's only a partial outsider on the political government side. But he's not an outsider. You know, like, it's just... And, and the fact that no one, you know, really challenged that yeah. notion. Um, you know, it, I guess, you know, the, the term that's been coined is, like, the post-truth the post -truth era, right? Sure. And, and I don't disagree with that term. I think that term is, you know... I was watching, I don't know where it came from, some British news show... There's some uh, uh, a female report uh, interviewer interviewing some dude who I had never seen this guy before, but clearly some sort of like Trump supporter, and just got really angry at people about uh, about Trump, and, and she was like really debating him or just really trying to poke holes in his. And he kept complaining about people, like people worry about people's feelings. It's about facts, not about feelings. And the interviewer, she was like. But what do you mean? Like you are you were quoted as saying like you were you were happy about this post fact, post truth world. So what do you mean you're talking about facts? And so he couldn't really 
you know, justify his total 180, right, on that. And so I just, I don't know, people want to get tripped up on stuff, and is it about facts, and, you know, people worry about, like, the part of Trump's whole thing was that people are too politically correct, and, you know, we should just not be so sensitive, and and I guess that's what the guy was, who I didn't really, kind of wanted to vomit on, was talking <laughs> about, like, oh, you know, people... You don't care what people feel. I don't care what people what the facts are, and in the end, I think we live in a world today where actually I don't think we live in a world that's not just uniquely today. But people are motivated for a lot of reasons. We are flawed people. We're not you know mm-hmm. the human race is not perfect by any stretch of the imagination. Right. And as a whole slew of people who will make decisions and will live their lives and make the decisions of their daily lives based on fact. And there's a lot of people who also make decisions on their daily lives and others based on feelings. Right. Like, you pissed me off, so I'm not going to do something. Right. That kind of happens all the time. Yeah, yeah. And just because you don't think that's rational doesn't mean it doesn't happen. It happens constantly. And so I don't know where I got in this tangent, but it's just maybe this whole election result has made me really try to question and understand humanity in some respect in a global sense right absolutely man it it's really interesting too with that question about humanity because what we did see on election night was that silent majority um i think that there's a lot of people who wanted to vote for trump and We've been thinking about voting for Trump for a long time, but just wasn't the type to just shout and be really, uh, you know, loudmouth, which, uh, you know, because as others have come out and said since, it's hard. It was actually kind of hard for those people because, like, well, I want to vote for Trump, but as soon as I say something about that, I'm all of a sudden a racist, homophobe, all this, all these things. And, you know, because the name-calling and all that got really bad on both sides, right? It almost seemed like the left felt like they needed to take it up a notch just to be as bad as the right. Um, you know, you, you would watch uh, either Samantha Bee or John Oliver or... I mean, half of their shtick is coming up with names to call Trump and all those bad actors on that end. Is that a uh, constructive part of the discussion or the debate? I don't know. I know it's comedy, but, you know, uh, I think it's good in the sense that they show what they lean towards, whereas not everybody has to be impartial. I mean, I think there should be some impartial journalism, reporting, but there should also be much more, uh, I don't know, not taking sides, but just reporting in, in a way that's a little more responsible. Um, you know, like our, our friends at Ricochet and, and other places, that Democracy Now! even, I mean, I watch or listen to Democracy Now! quite often these days because 
you know, they, they often come at it from different angles and they have people on those programs or, you know, PBS will have people on those programs where, you know, they don't talk to the usual experts that you see on the CNN network. And what, another thing we found out about election night was no one knew who the fuck they were talking about anyway. <laughs> no pollsters, no so-called experts or pundits. I think that's another thing we really learned. Polls can't really be trusted at all. Like, at all. Yeah. Because of that silent majority. If, you, <coughs> if you're, if there's going to be a bunch of people that you never talk to in a poll, then how can you say you know what's actually happening? We thought the polls were right and complete and turned out to be dead wrong. Um, when uh, Christy Clark last got nominated, uh, elected four. four years ago, everyone and their dog were saying the NDP were going to win. Turned out to be not the case. They actually got a majority. Um, in Alberta, I think it was the same thing. Something similar, yeah. I think something similar when the NDP won. No one thought the NDP was going to win, but lo and behold, they won. So I think there's, I think it's turned out to be what I'd like to call it as a, a crack science or a pseudoscience. It's, it's this polling thing just. Now, when I turn on the TV since the election, I was thinking about this the other day when they have experts like, say, even on our stations like the National or whatever, well, they might be really thought-provoking people and people who can add some real context and insight on things. But at the end of the day, their opinion's really no much more educated than mine. Yeah, well... <laughs> I hate to say it, but... <laughs> I mean, what are they really adding to the conversation? They're they're just saying things that you or I could have easily just come up with, like we're doing right now. True. Well, that's why we have this platform, I guess. Uh, but you know, it's interesting. There's a couple of things there. Like, um, one, I do think there is a, a pollsters and polling. I get really frustrated with. I I think there's a lot of the conversation is how did people got it wrong, and I don't disagree like conversations about, you know, statistical modeling and all these different things, you know, and I just, I was hearing like the person who is like from, uh, 538, you know, Nate Silver was sort of say, oh, you know, our polls, it was all, our polls predicted it, not, I mean, not predicted in that, but he said like, you know, we did say a 30% chance that Trump could win, you know, at a certain point, um, (laughs) and and I'm like, well, yeah, if you're a statistician, you understand what 70% Clinton and 30% Trump means. But if you're not a statistician, and most people aren't, people understand 70% on a test is damn good. You know, 30% on a test is not yeah, great. That's right. Right? And and people look at it that way, not that 30% of the 30, three out of a 10 times Trump will win. This is one of those three out of those 10 times. So he's not wrong either. But the problem is the media puts out these maybe they have long elaborate stories that go with those numbers but people just focus on the numbers of course right? like yeah. how the employment numbers are are like the unemployment rate or the gdp rate all those are shorthand that no longer are relevant because um whether or not employment unemployment has gone down or not it doesn't really matter someone feels someone is in real life situation going through a job crisis yeah like that that doesn't matter in in the totality of the numbers unemployment is going down if you are still unemployed mm-hmm. right like 
know, and so there's got to be a better education what those numbers mean, for one. And two, like, I truly have said this time and time again, maybe not necessarily on this podcast, but that, like, we should not be covering elections about winning and losing. That's not the point. Yeah. Uh, the point isn't about whether or not we think someone's going to win or not. I don't give a shit whether or not a reporter or a statistician believes someone could win or not statistically. Tell me about what they stand for. Tell me about what we would be choosing if we selected Donald J. Trump president or not. And like, and some there was some of that that was reported for sure. It's not to say that doesn't exist, but it gets overshadowed by the seventy percent Clinton or going into election day. New York Times had this little graphic. Clinton, 85% chance of winning. Like, I'll take that to the bank. I won't vote, you know, or whatever. Like, and those numbers influence what behavior might be based on that, right? Yeah. And sometimes those numbers, if not not received by someone who understands those numbers, might misinterpret it and often did, right? So I get angry about covering elections in a winner or losing predictive kind of way yeah. because it isn't about that. Uh, it's about trying to inform the people who need to cast a ballot on what, what they on what they are voting for. Yeah, in those areas, and they Simple don't do that. that. But the problem is, we're in a world where news is twenty four seven. You have to continually refresh your content, and so you know you're going to have pundits. You're going to have yeah. you know you're going to have some of the really good reporting, but it's going to be like thirty percent of the time. The other thirty percent of the time is talking about polls. And the other 30% of the time, or 33% of the time, is pundits, right? And have give, give their opinions, right? And, um, I don't know, it's a... It's a weird industry. It's a weird industry. And it doesn't, and to say it doesn't influence how the general public then interacts with the process of voting and the democracy that is uh, the system that exists... Uh, would be, uh, if someone doesn't believe it doesn't interact, of course it doesn't, right? So, I don't know. Yeah. No, that that's that's a really interesting point. Like, uh, made me think of uh, when we, on election night when we had it on CNN, you know, we toggled back and forth from that and CBS coverage, which was pretty good. A uh, little bit of CBC, you know, a little more dry. But Although I, I feel we should have listened to more CBC because afterwards I kept... That I I'm not a fan of David Frum. Like I just speechwriter for George W. Bush. He was one of the the, the panelists on yeah. CBC. Yeah. And I just don't like that guy. Uh, I just can't believe his mother was Barbara Frum, who everyone adored as a, as a respected journalist in Canada, and and her son is that guy and has that kind of political views. I I I can't comprehend it, so I can't see his face. But the woman who was the more progressive panelist. Mm-hmm. Uh, oh, we should have watched her. Uh, I was looking at tweets afterwards. They're like, "This woman's on fire." I'm like, "Totally, damn it!" What, what, yeah. <laughs> we so we should have probably watched a bit more of that. Sorry, Absolutely. I I disrupted no. your. No, that's that's fine. Uh, that no, you're totally right. It, it, we saw later that yeah, that probably would have been really good to catch more of that. But um. Uh. John King was in front of those <laughs> that huge monitor pressing buttons showing different maps and statistics and all this kind of stuff. Like he was just 
mile a minute. Amazing how that guy can. No one can fill up time like that guy. <laughs> and you need that, like as a as a broadcaster who's got to pay the bills and yeah. has to buy advertising space. You have to fill airtime for twenty four hours. Yeah. You'll give that guy twenty minutes, sure. Well, I mean, even Wolf Blitzer tried to. It was hard for him to get a word in. Like he'd have to. <laughs> You know, he'd be like, well, actually, we got to go back to uh, <laughs> so-and-so at the uh, Republican uh, base or the Democratic base. Uh, yeah, no, there's another, uh, sorry, I couldn't think about that, but, um, you know, you mentioned that, is his name David Fromm? David Fromm, yeah. Yeah. Well, that's just like Mike Wallace and his son, Chris Wallace. Was on Fox oh, right. News. Is that his son? I didn't realize that was that was the relationship, but I, I knew there was some relationship there. Either his son or nephew. One yeah. or the other, I think. Because I mean Mike Wallace, you know, whatever you thought of him or whatever his reputation was, he was pretty good on sixty minutes. No. Oh come on. <laughs> so he's he but that he didn't give a shit who he was interviewing. And that's what a lot of people liked about him. Putin, doesn't matter who he was talking to. Oh, come on. Uh, but his, but Chris Wallace is this little brat on Fox News. But I was pleasantly surprised when he moderated one of those major debates. He, I thought, you know, he's going to favor Trump. But no, he, he, I felt he was quite balanced. And he came at each of them when he needed to uh, equally, I thought. Mm. I, I was amazed because there's a very famous exchange between Chris Wallace and Bill Clinton uh, on Fox News, I don't know, maybe six or eight years ago when they interviewed Bill Clinton and he really came on Clinton's case for not capturing Bin Laden. That was before Obama caught Bin Laden. And there's a pretty famous part where Clinton really just bitch slapped him and was like talking about, you know, I tried. As president, you have to try everything in your means to go after a guy like that. And believe me, we did and blah, 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 blah. So, and I thought, you know, it's one thing to, you know, question that from a former president right to do um, and even come on strong but I, I always felt his where he was coming from was wrong he wasn't coming at it from a kind of a global perspective or a, a, an impartial perspective he was coming from it from a I'm a Republican and you're a Democrat and I think you failed because you're a Democrat and you guys are horrible like that that's hmm. That's what it sounded like to me. So when I saw him moderating this debate, I thought, oh, great, here we go. But for some reason, I actually thought he did okay. And he was serious, and he he did a pretty good... I dare say he did a pretty good job. <laughs> well, it was, I didn't see the debate in, a, in any sort of depth, although I watched snippets of it. And uh, I remember reading some of the coverage... Of it before, and uh, 
they're saying there's a, a real crossroads for having a moderator for a presidential election actually coming from Fox News for the first time ever. Yeah, right. Uh, and so I can imagine maybe part of the influences of him showing up in the way he did was to be able to prove that this network should exist in this medium. I mean, ratings aside, his ratings aside, obviously, they're number one. So they should exist on that notion. But there's always been the debate that, you know, Fox News is not really a news station. And, right. and so this is an opportunity for them to prove their critics wrong. Mm-hmm. They do have substance. Uh, and I guess that's another way of normalizing the discourse on, that comes out of Fox News, um, which I don't agree with necessarily. Um, but, uh, but I can see how that could have been an influencer in terms of Chris Wallace showing up in, a, in an actually quality way. as a a moderator no it's good and I think hey I I would never be the one to say well we can't let Fox News be in charge of something like that like I'd say that (laughs) well (laughs) the only reason I mean I'd want to say that but the only reason I wouldn't is because it's like well if they're letting centrist or left leaning people do it you got to be able to let everyone do it. Right. And let them show that they were bad at it or wrong or in balance, you know? But it's funny, like, I, I feel how it's where that kind of debate has gone right now is that anyone who's viewed as doing their job properly is viewed as liberal or democratic. Right. Right. Like, well, I saw the second debate with uh, Anderson Cooper and Martha Raddatz. Yeah. They co-hosted it. I love Martha Raddatz as, as a moderator. She's great. I actually think Anderson Cooper does a great job of holding people to account when they say anything in the debate. Like, what do you mean by that? Like, he was sharp. Right? Yeah. And it, and to me, that's just basic this of the job. Yeah. You know, but it was suddenly viewed as being, oh, they're so anti-Republican or anti-Trump. And, uh, and so, like, it was so one-sided. Instead of have someone from Fox News then do it. You know, it showed, like, actually, if you just do your job well, it's not a political spectrum thing. It's just totally. actually doing your job. But I didn't even realize, I don't even think until this election cycle that that was part of their job. I used to think that moderator was literally just a a referee. Right. Not catching people when they've said something to the contrary of what they've said previously right well i mean that's what chris matthews sorry chris wallace's pre-debate you know setting of the stage was for him was i don't consider myself a fact checker and oh right yeah and people like what no (laughs) (laughs) moderating a debate is still a journalistic endeavor right okay and to me journalism part of journalism is telling calling people on their bullshit and um, you just can't say, like if, you know, if, if like it'd be like saying John B. Jane Trump comes up and says, you know, hi everyone, as you can tell, I'm a donkey and I've got, and I walk <laughs> on four feet, on, you know, four legs and, and, uh, you know, I can't wipe my own ass. <laughs> Are you supposed to just let that go? Right? Like, I love when you always give examples, they're so funny. <laughs> Well, I think uh, 
you know, it was it was a really big day for us today. And uh, Joe talk pipelines. Yeah, yeah. I think I think uh, you know it's all kind of related because sure. obviously you know, speaking of Trump, he he wants to uh, now approve Keystone Pipeline, which is one that goes from Alberta down to Texas. Refinery so. yeah. or Oklahoma, one of those. Somewhere in the southern part of the United States. And then it'll be shipped off from the Gulf of Mexico. So, Obama had officially turned it down. Isn't that correct? Yes. Okay, so now just because someone else is in power, they have the ability to uh, reverse that, I guess. And uh, so that'll be interesting. But Justin and I were at the protest today, as we mentioned off the top, um, because it it's directly related to our backyard, uh, meaning what was it? Was it Burrard Inlet or yeah, yeah? So tankers already come in uh, through uh, you know House Sound and stuff, and they hit hit the uh, I guess the port or whatever the station there to collect oil and take it overseas but people are including our mayor at the rally today say it's gonna that's gonna increase if kinder morgan kinder morgan are allowed to this will increase uh tanker traffic sevenfold so that has a lot of people worried uh because that increases the risk of an oil spill and they're shipping raw bitumen, bitumen is my understanding. And Sierra Club had said that there is actually no existing technology to clean up a bitumen spill. Oh, no. So, you know, this is something that you and I both felt important to go be a part of today and show our solidarity. Um, because it it would just be a catastrophe if there was a spill in our waters along our coast. And there's so many outside parties that want this to happen. Um, corporations, um, maybe countries who would receive the product, uh, certain uh, line of politicians, regular folk that just want the jobs, and then there's the rest of us who just don't want this to happen. What what were your what did you take away from going there today? Uh, what did I take away? I a couple of things. One was the thing that I did post on my Facebook that that comment at the beginning about like. That I think we talked about earlier, right? Like, they were all in the same canoe. Yeah. You know, uh, <clears throat> and and part of it is just to show, like, there is a there tends to be this duality of us versus them, like Trudeau and the elites and the companies all want to, or the people who want the jobs are all not in this canoe, and we are the ones who are in this canoe who want to protect the earth. You know. I, 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 I don't think we have a monopoly on wanting to protect the earth. Um, I, th I think there's, that's more common. I think some of the questions around, well, you know, like some of the arguments we were, you know, you and I, we were walking and, 
along the protest route and over the bridge were like, you know, <coughs> all these different arguments, right? Like, people want jobs, mm. right? Or, well, it's the tankers and pipe pipelines are the safer way than trains, you know? And, and to me, the question is, well, why does it need to be taken on the ground anyway? Just because we have been doing it and when we have built a society around it doesn't mean we can't say, okay, enough's enough. Let's stop this and then deal with the domino effects of that. Agreed. And it's part of leadership. Agreed. I mean, Justin Trudeau, in his election, from some of the speakers were saying, you told us and we believed you that you want to take leadership in climate change. Now lead us. Like, yeah. do the leading. Do the leading. And, and, you know, he is in this bubble which is the political system that is, you know, mostly populated by people who have financial benefits on these kinds of decisions, um, are whispering in his ear, oh, you know, pipelines are, are environmentally friendly, or, you know, or it's the cleanest way to do it, it's the safest way. Like, I don't even want to have a safety conversation. Like, it's whether or not we should be even doing this to begin with. And, and people obviously say, oh, well, wind technology and all those renewable energy, that's there's, there's not cost-effective, and we still want to drive our cars, and blah, 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 blah. And, and I remember this podcast, and I can't remember if it was on the media. I don't think it was. I think it might have been, although I love on the media. It's been really good about, like, unpacking why we believe what we do and how the media has played an effect on that. So I've learned a lot from that podcast. We've been talking about it in podcasts. But I think yeah. it was Alec Baldwin's Here's the Thing. Yeah, and he was talking to the person who who what who ran for five years the the nuclear regulatory agency in the United States. Okay, and and I believe it was in that podcast where they talked about the history of nuclear energy, right? And and how <coughs> it wasn't very much a governmental industry that was created by government because they had created, and I'm not a historian, so I could get a lot of this wrong, uh, but it was about about basically we had this nuclear technology that was cost a lot of money to to create so we could bomb the shit out of people yeah. and as we all know we've you know not we it's canada but the western world has used it twice the united states has used it for different reasons mm. and so what else could they use it for if they're not going to bomb the shit out of a country yeah and so they inv they made the choice to invest and now there's nuclear power plants everywhere how terribly Safe is it? Not very. How terribly economical is it? Not very. It is economical because governments chose to spend that money. So the argument of like wind power isn't, you know, solar power is not economical. Uh, like, you can solve that if you so choose. We did it with nuclear, and there's a now a whole nuclear industry that's multi billions of dollars worth, right? So like the the notions that so that's really helpful for me. You know, yeah. some of those conversations about why pipeline needs to be made to me doesn't make sense. Yeah. Like if you actually know some of the historical context and how government can make a choice, mm -hmm. right? So, mm -hmm. uh, and then the last thing was like we choose what's powerful and what's you know like the notion with that speaker who's the younger cedar his name was um, from Slaywatooth was he talked a lot and he one of the things he did say that took a lot that I actually resonated with the, the most was when he's like oh, what 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 building were you in front of again and, and it was at like City Hall of Vancouver right and you know we laughed and I'm particularly like wow this you know this building which is the municipal 
building of, of the city of Vancouver is a fairly important building. But we, it's not necessarily factually important building, it's just we believe it to be important. And the guy comes and he's like, I don't know, what is this building? And everyone laughs, right? And it's true, like, we give power uh, by choice. Uh, in a lot of instances, not every instance, but a lot of instances. So we, we have somehow, re, we, we have given Justin Trudeau, through legislation and just the norms of our political system, the right to say whether or not a pipeline comes in or out or, or whatever, right, right? right? Like, he's not the, it's not the only person, right? Like, yeah. We, uh, you know, we, in some respects, we can choose what we believe to be important. Yeah, yeah. So that statement was kind of important to me, too. No, that, Anyways. yeah, absolutely. Oh, such a complex issue. <laughs> yeah. So much complexity about so many things, man. I think we're, you know, we were talking about just being more informed, um, kind of wading through all the bullshit to, to find the truth, you know. It is kind of true. We are in the post-truth era, and I think it's it's more what people think is fact is just really just opinion, which I think is is really strange. But it's true, you know, what one's thought about what a fact is, or how you even uh, uh, interpret a fact, <laughs> it is is really kind of made things really messy. But um, you know, it it's a Facts are good. It's like, you know, when Trump was talking about the elections rigged and he'll only, you know, he'll only basically accept it if he wins. I mean, a five-year-old couldn't have said it better. I mean, <laughs> uh, but it, it's just like, you know, people just use what they can to their benefit. So if he wins, oh yeah, and you dredging up tweets him. of like, oh, the electoral college is rigged and stupid, and he won because of the electoral college. He isn't saying anything about it now. Nope. And all of those tweets are available to look through. Oh, and it doesn't even matter. I mean, it just, it just doesn't matter anymore. No one's accountable for anything nowadays. So it's just you, you could pretty much do anything, maybe except murder someone, and you don't have to be accountable. You know, well, was it? There's that quote where Trump said, "Like I could walk down." Oh, wherever. he said himself, yeah. "I could murder someone right now." And people still vote. Yeah. <laughs> well, should we? Uh, yeah. We end it off there. We yeah. Hockey the, game. The last thing I'll say is a, is quoting another podcast. We do have a hockey game. We can. <laughs> oh, the Canucks is just laughable. Anyways, but the I was listening to the David Gregory show. Okay. which is a new a podcast from the former host of Meet the Press before he got canned. David Gregory, oh. the guy with the blonde, of uh, the gray right. hair. Right, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah, he got fired, right? Oh. Was, and uh, so he's got this podcast now. And, and I nice. Start, I'm like, great, because I actually started to warm to him after a number of years, because he's no Tim Russert, for yeah, sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But he got better. He's better than the Chuck Todd guy who looks, who basically quotes stats and polls all the time. And I'm like, that's, I want more, wow. you know? Uh, and I went different from that. But anyways, uh, and he, I thought, great, I'll watch his, I'll listen to his podcast, Spirit Interviews. But I guess he's also spiritual. He's so, he's got a religiousness to him. And so 
that's part of the show is about like how do you talk to people of prominence and understand their spirituality, mm-hmm. which in most cases is religion. And so I kind of like, yeah, whatever. And then, but they had one, he did an interview with Doris Kearns Goodwin, who was that presidential historian. Uh, she wrote the book on Lincoln, which became the basis for Lincoln, right? Yeah. And I'll put a link to that. Well, in our description, we'll put a link to all these podcasts we've been talking about, Democracy Now! and others. And uh, um, <coughs> she was talking about the presidency as a bully pulpit, right? You know, people talk about the bully pulpit, right? Oh, okay, Where yeah. the president speaks, people listen. Right. right? Whether yeah. or not they have power or not legislatively. Right. And how... Presidents in the past have had a lot of that power, but more recently, in the changes that we've talked about, like social media, 24-hour cable news, um, the power of the presidency to be a bully pulpit is nowhere near what it used to be. And it was really interesting, she said, because when the president spoke in previous times, you the president knew that... He had everyone's attention. Yeah, right. There's only three main stations, mm. right? And the internet wasn't around. Mm-hmm. The newspapers were, you know, all the intents and purposely doing their job and not being too opinionated. Right. right. And right. so when people would watch the six o'clock news and it would come from one of three sources and most of those three sources were generally covering the same stories. Mm-hmm. Now there are hundreds of news sources cable news up the wazoo one a story that might be the most important story top of the news on the national might not be the top of the news of the ctv news right or or on the top of the news of huffington post canada or buzzfeed or whatever right vice and vice right so you don't have there is no there is there is no common baseline of which everyone a common understanding in which then to have a powerful message right from one person in this country yeah that's, that's really interesting right and that speaks a lot to you know what we were talking about you know, here here is how i bring that up but anyways yes we've got a hockey game <laughs> connects well, the chicago blackhawks that's awesome because 25 years ago you brought me my first hockey game as a kid oh right yes yes we're yes, doing it again i love it 1991 we'll be high up again don't worry <laughs> awesome well uh thanks for listening and yeah. uh you can catch us uh at the dot matrix.com not itunes and not dot matrix.ca since we just let that url that's go right. <laughs> that's right good to mention we are now dot com only <laughs> and uh yeah so uh we'll when we chat again we'll, we'll probably have heard our Prime Minister decides on King of Norway. Yes. Oh, we'll, we'll talk more about that. We'll talk more about that. All right. Okay. Okay. Happy times. For sure. I stole your own. <laughs> <laughs>